Fred Rachani, we have right here on the line a very special guest. He is an actor. He is a comedian. He is a voice actor. He actually voices Huang Jung-ho as seen and heard on Netflix's hit show, Squid Game. We are talking to Donald Chang. Donald, thank you so much for the time. A lot is going on. I got so many questions to ask, but I think the first one I'll ask you is, how has your life changed since Squid Game dropped? Uh, I don't mean to disappoint anybody. It hasn't changed at all. We're still <laughs> in a pandemic and I'm still working my regular jobs. <laughs> but it is cool uh, yeah, to be uh, interviewed on on shows and, and talk to people about it. I'm glad people love the show. So that's been really nice. Um, yeah. <laughs> I don't mean to uh, destroy anybody's idea of like the, the glamorous life of a voiceover actor, but uh, <laughs> it is not all champagne. Well, you deserve some champagne, my friend. You did a, a hell of a job uh, as the cop Huang Jun-ho in Squid Game. I actually watched both the Korean version and, and the English dubbed as well. Uh, really good stuff. Uh, how did you get involved with the show? And when you got into it, did you kind of realize, oh, man, this is not like everything you see on TV? <laughs> okay, yeah. So I got into it like I got into voiceover really during the pandemic. Um I think because as actors, we were all, everybody was stuck at home and it was just like something I'd always wanted to do. But uh, then I realized like, oh, this is the only thing that people are like really auditioning right now because you can do everything from home. You don't have to interact with people. So I invested in a bunch of equipment. And then um, soon after that, I like, I think I just posted like a, a demo of myself, recorded stuff. And then I got an email that was just like, hey, do you want to do a dub for some Korean show on Netflix? It, they, they worded it differently, but it was like, <laughs> Yeah, sure. Cool. That sounds amazing. I did not expect any calls about this. Um, so I got this call about this, about Squid Game at some point. It was like a couple months before the show came out. And uh, yeah, I had no idea what this was. They gave me very little information, which I don't blame them about. I was like, cool. Yeah, keep me in the dark. All I need to know is what my character says. Uh, and then I only saw the segments that my character's in. And if you've seen the show, you're familiar with the show. My character has like his own basically beeline. Mm -hmm. So having only seen my parts, I was like, okay, this is a cop procedural. This, this is just a, this is a straight up police procedural. Um, and it seems fun and interesting, but like, I don't know how many people are going to watch this. And then the show came out and then my little brother was like, you need to watch this show. I know you're in it, but you need to watch the whole thing because everybody at my school is talking about it. Uh, and I was like, all right, cool. And then I was like, oh, there's a whole other part of the show that I had no idea about. T typically, when you're voicing over characters, do you just read the dialogue? Or when you're dubbing, is it is a different process where you're watching the actual scene and doing it in real time? Like, how does that work? Yeah. So um, for most voiceover, like video games and, and cartoons and things like that, uh, uh, they might have footage for you ready, but sometimes they don't. So you're just going to read it uh I don't know if the term is raw. Uh, I'm so new to this. I don't know the terms, but I'll say raw. Uh, but then with, with dubbing, it's like they have the footage for you. So you can watch and you can match the flaps. That's a term I do know, uh, which is just like matching the other character's lips. So you're, uh, it's almost like karaoke because they have the video of your scene playing. And they have this little bar at the bottom that has your lines going across it in like a uh, specific rhythm. So you can keep up with it. And so that's uh, fun and sometimes a little bit stressful, but overall, like the directors and everybody I was working with were so nice and supportive and kind. They took care of me. They made everything such a dream. Um, but yeah, it's like, 
you're matching their lips and even their breaths. So things that I never thought about when watching a TV show is like, okay, great. You need to make sure that you're breathing in because he's breathing in right now or he's breathing out right now. So it's just like keeping even those things in check <laughs> was wild. Yeah, I, I can imagine. And, and people say too, like I've, I've gone to speech and dialect coaches where they say like, like the mouth is a muscle. Like it's not just about having a, a great voice and being able to do some impressions, which by the way, you, you do very well as well. But <laughs> yeah, actually, it's, it's a skill. Like you have to develop it. You have to hone it. So how long did it take you to get to the point where you were pretty comfortable and were able to get this Netflix gig? Oh, um, as I said, not very long because I just <laughs> got the equipment. Um, I've been interested. I tried like, I don't know, talking to friends about it before. But uh, yeah, honestly, I, I'm i still not even confident to get, I got this Netflix gig. Uh, it just felt it was really nice and lucky of, on my part uh, in terms and everybody else kind, their kindness for reaching out and taking care of me and teaching me what to do. Um, so yeah, I think maybe it was about like eight months from when I like got all the equipment and like sent out my reels and stuff and demos to picking up this job. Um, so anybody who's out there like thinking about voiceover, uh, I don't have as much advice for you yet, but maybe in a couple of years I will. Well, hey, go for it. Get the right equipment. I mean, you did, you did the right thing though. You got prepared and, and it wasn't, I'm sure it wasn't easy and it's kind of risky, right? You've been acting, you've been doing comedy and all of a sudden it's like, Hey, I don't know if I'm going to succeed in this voiceover thing, but I might as well invest in myself and try. Yeah, that's honestly, and I think that's really, that's the case with all art. It feels like is just, you got to be on it. Uh, you got to believe in yourself and then you got to invest in something. I don't, you know, the equipment, your pencils and paper, your paints, whatever it is. Uh, and it takes a big risk. Like you're just jumping on in, but once you do it, it's going to not necessarily be easy, but you loved it for a reason. You wanted to try it for a reason. So yeah, give it a swing. That's what I'll say. <laughs> when you were doing the dubs, did you realize how much of a badass and heartthrob uh, Jun Ho is, or did it really sink in when you watched the whole show? Oh, it definitely sank in more once I watched the rest of the show, but uh, yeah, it, it was <laughs> very, um, I felt it really good to know that I was <laughs> voicing over, uh, that my voice was matched to a very good looking and cool person. Uh, I was, kind of went into voiceover thinking like, oh, I'm going to play weirdos. I'm going to do cartoon <laughs> characters that sound like this. Uh, but it was like nice to be like, have that. And then also the director just kind of saying like, basically stick with your natural voice. I kind of assumed that a lot of voiceover was like, oh, you do a lot of character voice. You change your voice a lot. And I was like, no, most of the time they want your natural voice. There's a reason they're hiring you. Um, yeah, so that felt good. Yeah, and, and, I, and I love the character as far as it's just, you know, good looking guy. He's got like a baby face. You're thinking, okay, this guy's like, you know, he's cast. He's good looking, but no, he's like, like he, he's badass. Like the character itself is badass. And, you know, we're not going to give too much away of what goes on in Squid Game for him that hasn't watched it. But I mean, yeah, looks can deceive. The dude is a badass mofo. Yeah, I, I'll fully agree. Much more than I am, as you can already tell just by what I'm dressed as. I'm just like, I, this is not a guy who's going to fight anybody. Uh, but, you know, he is, he's kicking butt on that show. I'm sure, I'm sure you got a badass side. Come on, man. You, you live in New York. You got to survive long enough in New York to get to your to get to where you're at. I'm, I'm sure you've had to, you know, crack a few skulls here and there. I mean, sure. To get a bagel, I'll I'll, I'll fight somebody. <laughs> but <laughs> you know, that's about it. That's New York for you, though. True. Maybe, maybe you once cut cut a line in the one dollar pizza. You know. Oh, would never do that. That's that's a that's a death sentence, and I think that's a rule in New York. You should not do that. <laughs> 
uh, they, the, the lines go so fast for pizza. They're pumping them out. True. Um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, Donald, you've done acting. You've done comedy. You've, how did it all start for you? It goes back a while to when I was just a, a little wee lad. Uh, so my, my younger brother is much younger than me. So a, a bunch of my childhood, I was an only child. So I think uh, a lot of my time was spent um, watching a bunch of cartoons. And my parents even remember that like I would memorize word for word whole episodes of like the Ninja Turtles, the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. So I, now that I think about it, yeah, that's probably where it goes back. My, my voiceover uh, career probably starts around then. I would memorize like whole episodes and I would be able to like, she would, my mom would watch me watch the TV and say the lines before, you know, Michelangelo or Donatello would say their lines. Wow. <laughs> um, so yeah, I, I think I loved movies too much as a kid. Cause I, I think my parents would, um, I would, I would ask my parents, I would force them to bring me to a bunch of movies that probably weren't meant for kids. Like I distinctly remember making my mom bring me to, Nicholas Cage's Snake Eyes, okay. which is not a good movie. Nobody should remember this movie, but I do because I made my mom bring me to this movie. Uh, it was not meant for kids at all. I think I was like six or five or six. I was real young. Um, yeah, so I would watch every movie whenever I could. And uh, that was just like so much of my life. And I think I got introduced to, I really started taking comedy into account like in when I was like, maybe 10 because that's when I started watching stand-up. I think I hadn't really considered stand-up a thing. I think I knew stand-up because I watched Seinfeld and I was like, what is he doing on stage at the beginning of every episode? <laughs> um, but I, yeah, I'd watch a bunch of stand-up sets and suddenly realized like, oh, this is a thing that people do. And um, I would buy a bunch of CDs, got really into comedy. I liked the idea of doing it. I think I finally started trying comedy out in like, high school or middle school doing like little talent shows doing some improv shows uh with like an improv club in the in the theater department um but i think really taking it seriously was post-college uh i studied other things because i wanted to be a therapist uh but in school i was friends with all the people in the film department of my college and i was in a comedy club and I just ended up doing everybody's student films in school and everybody was giving me compliments. And like, even the teachers were like, Hey, that was really good. And I was like, you know what? This is a thing that people do and people get paid money for. This is a job. I think before then I was just like, people are born into it. Everybody's born into it. It's someone's kid or someone knows somebody. And then suddenly I was like, no, this is a thing that people can do. Uh, and so, yeah, moved to New York pretty soon after took some class at UCB and, uh, and the William Esper studio uh, and that's when I started like really taking it seriously and going out on auditions and stuff. How do you kind of stay mentally focused and calm when you're in the moment? Oh, uh, <laughs> if anyone t gives you the answer, Fred, please share it with me <laughs> because I will tell you right now, I think, uh, all performers, comedians, I think in particular, we're all anxious, <laughs> we're all nervous, we're all shy. But I think what happens is when we get on that stage, we've just done it enough that we almost ride that. That's kind of the fear. It's like being on a roller coaster. You are scared when you get on a roller coaster, but that's part of the fun. And so it's like going onto a stage, seeing a whole new audience and being able to play with stuff, either that's new and that's the scariest part, or like your tried and true material. And it's like, great, let's see if this hits with this audience. Cause it won't always, sometimes your best stuff will fall flat. And it's just like, this audience wasn't for it or the day was weird or the energy was off. 
Um, but yeah, so I think if I had to give a new comedian uh, some advice, it's just keep doing it. Get used to falling on your face and failing and not getting people to laugh because that's going to happen a lot. And if you can deal with that, then by God, the laughs are going to blow you away. Well said. And how as a comedian do you walk the line? Because these days, you know, there's some people get offended. Some people don't. Sometimes there's jokes that either fall flat or, or cross the line. Like how do you as a comedian kind of balance entertainment with also being responsible with your jokes? That's a great question. Yeah. And I, I, I think it's, first of all, be able to learn from your mistakes. I think if you ever tell a joke and it hurts people's and, and it, yeah, hurts a community or people tell you like, Hey, this was wrong for these reasons. Then listen to them. (laughs) Like worse comes to worse. You might disagree. And that's also fine. But I think to like lash out and be like, no, you're wrong for not thinking I'm funny is the worst reaction people can have. And I find it really interesting that some of my hero comedians too are like adamant about this and they'll stick by their jokes and be like, you're wrong for not agreeing with me and thinking this was funny. And I'm like, Hey, You can't ask people to be less sensitive when you are also being sensitive. And you knew this joke was edgy when you told it. So you can't be surprised that people are upset. If you're telling an edgy joke, accept the fact that people are going to be offended and they're going to dislike you. And if you don't like that, then don't tell that joke is really what it comes down to. And I think everybody's got to make their own judgment in terms of what joke is worth it and what jokes aren't. Because, yeah, that's it. Yeah, go. I mean, it, go, it goes both ways, right? You put out—it's like putting out a hot take on TV. You put out a hot take, you should probably expect a hot reaction back. Yeah, that's the whole point of a hot take. Is like it's not going to be everybody's uh, cup of tea, and you got to be willing to just sip it anyways, or don't brew it. Wow, I really kept with that metaphor. <laughs> <laughs> I like it. I dig <laughs> it. <laughs> I was an English major. I don't know if you can tell. <laughs> uh, that's that's awesome. I was a journalism major. I did, I, I appreciate that. I, pre- I appreciate the wordplay. Now, I, I've interviewed um, a lot, a lot, a lot of Black and Asian actors lately who have all told me from the UK and the US that things have definitely been got, gotten a lot better, and it's a, a step in the right direction. Obviously, I feel like Hollywood and, in general, the film industry, TV industry, still has a, a ways to go. It can always be better, uh, but. As an Asian actor performer, do you feel like it's gotten better over this last decade since when you started till now? Yeah, I think it's definitely gotten better. Um, obviously, I, I think I started my career at pretty like a peak time for actors of color. Uh, a lot more opportunities and doors have been open, but uh, it is like, yeah, we're seeing more Asian faces on TV, hearing more Asian voices, getting stories from more Asian folks, uh, as well as other people of color, right? And, and other uh, experiences. So I think it's a, it is getting better. There are still some mistakes being made, obviously, but yeah. uh, that's just kind of what's going to happen. We all got to fall before we learn to run. Um, and yeah, I think similarly, it's just like, be ready to apologize if you make a mistake and learn to roll with it. Because I think there's a lot of people who are going to make those mistakes. Like I still think of, you, were, you mentioned, uh, I think before we started rolling, but like, oh yeah, there's this squid game was like all Asian voices. They got all Asian voices for the dub, which I think is awesome. That's not always, that used to not always be the case. I think they're doing that a lot more now. I notice on a lot of um, sides and I hope this is okay for me to share, but a lot of sides will just have this thing posted. Of like we're looking at a lot more voices. We're looking at all different kinds of races and voices uh, for our roles, which is great that they're putting that down there and making sure that they get, um, Asian voices for Asian characters or black voices for black characters. 
Um, plenty of that did not happen for a lot of our favorite shows growing up. Yeah. Um, and it's not the best, but I will still say like, I love some of those shows were like, yeah, Samurai Jack. If you're familiar with that cartoon yeah. is classic Phil Lamar, black actor, great voice actor. He's, cl- he's amazing, legendary. And he voices the, uh, Samurai Jack, the eponymous character, uh, was a Japanese character. <laughs> uh, but you know, I still love that show. I think he did a really good job with it. Really respectful. I don't know if it should fly anymore, but yeah, there are things we can look back on and be like, okay, we are learning. Yeah, I mean, it, it, it's definitely a work in progress as a step in the right direction. Also, and, and correct me if I'm wrong, you're obviously in the game. Do you, do you feel like the audience has gotten uh, more sophisticated too? In a sense, I, I see a, there's always going to be Twitter trolls and a lot of idiots here and there, but I feel like there's a lot more of a smarter audience and giving credit as far as like people who are demanding you know more diversity you know, behind the microphone and on the screen, want to see these stories, you know, rather than say, you know, cast a white actor when it should be like an Asian role. Yeah. I think, I think there's definitely a lot more, uh, like audiences are a lot more involved. Uh, there are a lot of cartoons and just TV shows in general where, you know, fans are able to like bring a show back because they're so passionate and they know what they want and they're able to figure out like, what's the best way to direct our, uh, (laughs) our excitement to get this show back on. So there's definitely people who are doing the work and know what they're talking about. And uh, I think that's great. I also think it, it helps that we have so much, so many more options for watching material. Now there's infinitely more TV shows than there ever were before. And they're probably, it's probably going to keep growing, but because there's so many options, um, people can find anything to watch. And so there's, they have to start creating uh, programming for more voices and more, more life experiences. Um, because there's a lot of space out there. There's a lot of like ground that they want to capture that these networks want to capture. So, uh, I think that's great. And it's making our audiences more verbal. Cause now they realize like, Oh, we can get that show. We don't have to just be happy with the fact that like, Oh, someone said this character was queer, uh, but we don't get to see it on camera. Yeah. <laughs> and it's like, no, we get, cause if they don't do it, some other show will. And yeah, we don't have to just be happy with like, oh yeah, 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 yeah. There was a there was a background character that's holding hands with somebody, or <laughs> there was another character who's um, you know, supposed to be uh a different race. <laughs> uh right. But we can actually get what we want now. And I think that's that's very cool. Yeah, for sure. And and that's I, I think the flip side, the really good side of all these streaming services. On one hand, you could say, okay, maybe oversaturation, whatever, but the reality is there are millions, billions of people worldwide. A lot of different people, a lot of different backgrounds, and it, 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 there are no excuses anymore. Like, if you want representation, you should be able to have it, and now you can find it. I mean, there's again, there's Peacock, Hulu, Netflix. I mean, the list goes on and on of all these different streaming services and channels and everything else. And like you said, there is, there is something for everybody to watch these days, which is pretty awesome, and it, it gives more opportunities to actors like yourself. Yeah, exactly. I think it's it's great. Um, there's there's definitely pros and cons to all that. Uh, like you're saying, it's like oversaturation but uh you know so i think a lot of shows will have like a shorter half-life sometimes but it also raises the bar in terms of like great if you want to survive out there you got to be this big you got to have this much talent you got to have this much uh sophistication while still aiming at a the audience and letting them understand what you're doing there uh so i think that's kind of cool it's going to produce some amazing content and speaking of content man i was checking out your imdb it looks like you have 
a little production called Ghost Girl that's coming out sometime soon. Can you talk about that? <laughs> um, yeah, I was involved. That was like a, a, a short film slash pilot that was filmed. It feels like ages ago now. Uh, yeah, directed by directed and written by my friend uh, Sam Evans and produced by her. She she stars in it. Um, so hopefully soon. I think obviously with the with the world being where it is, it's kind of hard to release projects like that. Mm-hmm. Um, got to figure out when it's a good time to put that together. So I don't have more information than that, but fingers crossed it happens maybe 2022. Cool. We'll, we'll keep an eye out for that. Now, before we let you go, you've been very gracious with your time. We appreciate it. We always like to ask all our guests some kind of random rapid fire questions just to get to know them better. Are you ready? Yeah. All time favorite actor. Oh, uh, Sam Rockwell. All time favorite comedian. Ooh, I think right now, Bo Burnham. Favorite late night snack? Ah, uh, kettle corn. Favorite color? Blue. Good one. A- any shade of blue or is it just blue? I think uh, like a pastel, like a baby blue, something like that. All right, cool, cool, cool. So for Christmas shopping, we'll, we'll know what to get you. All right. Yeah, 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 thank you. Thank you. <laughs> Actually, can I go back and change my favorite actor? Uh, yeah, go for right it. Now? Cool. I think right now, Mahershala Ali. Okay. Oh, I'm oh, in the background man. of my phone. Yeah. Oh, my God. I love... I love them in House of Cards. He was great in he was in he was in Luke Cage too. I the, just rewatched it and I was like, yeah. oh, I Man. he's the Moonlight. Oh my god, he's yeah, so good. Yeah, he's he's great. He was in True Detective as well. Guy's got amazing range. He got a r- amazing range, and yeah, he's just so good. Uh, I made it in the background of my phone because I was like, I need to remember things I've learned from watching him. Mm-hmm. Uh, a lot of it, which is just like stillness. So I wrote down just stillness underneath his face. And what I love about his journey too, and it's very inspiring. It's that like he, he was around for a while before he he really blew up, and he was doing his thing. And it wasn't until like much later in his career that he finally got the flowers he deserved. Yeah, I feel that happens surprisingly a lot. I've noticed because like even John Hamm is similar. Mm-hmm. Um, I I almost say Brian Cranston, but Brian Cranston has been kind of like doing well in the background. We just don't. He wasn't a household name, but then. Yeah. Uh, because he was in Malcolm in the Middle, but and and Seinfeld, but uh, obviously Breaking Bad made him world renowned. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, who's your favorite character besides Jun Ho? I think my favorite character is Sebo Yok's friend. She she's in a, a couple of the episodes that like really stand out in my mind. Um, I don't want to give any spoilers. I would also say second place. I think might be Ali. Oh, he was he he yeah he was awesome. What Very, a sweetheart. Yeah. Just a nice guy and, and so polite. Yeah, in a show that is pretty heart wrenching, you get a little, a little, uh, a little sweetheart. That's nice. We need that little balance. <laughs> Agreed. Most awkward moment as an actor. It was during a an intimate scene in a short film, where I, it's like a conversation between a couple um, about sex, and I think we're kind of in undress, <laughs> and I farted very loudly. <laughs> Uh, yeah, it was really embarrassing. Um, it made everybody laugh. And I think I mostly felt bad for the sound guy. Cause it was like, yeah. <laughs> it's all up in his ears. Right. Like, damn, look at that. Yep. 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 He heard it real close. <laughs> <laughs> so as an actor, besides, you know, accidentally farting, which you, Hey, it happens. Okay. How do you prepare for like an intimate scene like that? As far as like, I've always been kind of curious, like, is it, awkward for uh, i'm assuming it's kind of awkward for both people involved you are professionals obviously but 
Like, is there any prep, like, mentally that you have to do? Like, okay, like, you know, especially if you have, like, a significant other in real life? I mean, yeah, 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 that's for sure. Uh, at, at the time, I definitely just, I told my significant other, is like, here's what's going to happen. And I think they were like, yeah, as long as I don't have to watch this, fine. <laughs> this is your job. <laughs> um, and, yeah, as far as the, like, scene partner thing goes, it's just, like, luckily I was with scene partners that, like, I, we got along. I've heard definitely horror stories where people do not get along and I'm like, wow, you should get an Oscar that you were able to do this yeah. uh, so well. Uh, but yeah, they, it's, I think just checking in with them, making sure they're comfortable and like being able to obviously set boundaries, which I think, you know, fair for a real relationship as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, just be like, cool. Where is there anything that's like completely off friends? Like I shouldn't touch your hair or uh, something like that. And um I don't know. I guess it also depends on the production because maybe the director has like a fully detailed, like almost choreography for the sequence, in mm-hmm. which case you don't have as many choices to make and that's okay. I guess you'll, you'll fill in those blanks. Um, and sometimes they'll even have like a intimacy choreographer on set who will like guide things. I don't, I've never worked with one of those yet. So it seems like an interesting job. A lot of, it seems very animated. Yeah, 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 yeah. I, I, I'm very curious what uh, the background that goes into that work. Uh, but it's very important, I think. It's, you know, movies really need that. Uh, so that's my experience with it. It's mostly just checking in with your scene partner, making sure they're comfortable with whatever's going on. And oh, and uh, bring mints. Mm. Mints. Uh, not gum. Bring mints. Gum makes you very saliva Mints are just going to like freshen up your breath. <laughs> What's your most awkward moment as a comedian? Oh my god. Uh all right. My most awkward moment as a comedian. Um okay. Uh I guess I'll I'll tell the most recent one is uh and my friend just posted about this on, on Twitter too. Uh just remembering it. Like a couple of years ago we did this I did this like I don't remember the theme of the show, but I was just playing a character where I was supposed to be like almost like a Stephen King-esque uh, horror writer. <laughs> and I'm like sharing my new works with the audience. And I had this lit candle and I was I started off the show by being like, uh, welcome to the dark. And I was going to blow out the candle and kind of set it this almost like, are you afraid of the dark moment? Um, but the candle was very melted. <laughs> it was so much melted wax that when I blew on the candle all this hot wax exploded in my face oh. and i got covered in hot wax oh my god and uh yeah did, did you sell it did you did you did you like react to it at all or no oh i i lost it yeah yeah, yeah. i mean it was it, it i didn't have to fake it it was a real reaction <laughs> and uh the audience joined in fortunately Everybody had a good time. <laughs> it, it, it uh, I was like, I got it. I completely lost the character in that moment. <laughs> Your face looks intact, though. You're good, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, it, it worked out. And anybody who, if you get uh, hot wax on nice clothes, uh, the the tip is get like a, a clothes, uh, what is it? A, a hand dryer, a hair dryer. Mm-hmm. And it'll melt the wax and you can easily just wipe it off your clothes. Uh, I had to look all that stuff up. <laughs> Yeah, man, dropping a lot of gems here, you know, about your intimate scenes, about your candle wax on your shirt. I like that. A lot of life tips. I didn't expect that. You're you're sparking it. You're asking the good questions. That's journalism. (laughs) I do what I can. And and we'll get you out of here on a high note. Uh, What's the best piece of advice that you've been given for success that you could pass along to the audience? Oh, um, 
Okay. I've been given a lot of great success. I've been lucky to have a lot of great teachers. I think probably one of the, one of the good pieces of advice I would especially give to like early actors too, um, is that when you're auditioning, everybody wants you to succeed. Like, I think a lot of the times people go into rooms being like, oh, everybody hates me. They don't want to see me at all. But uh, no, the, the casting office, everybody in there, they want you to be good. So uh, be ready to, you know, if you have questions or if you're, if you want to like do this, the scene in a particular way, like standing or sitting, um, feel free to ask them that stuff and ask for whatever you might need. They might not give it to you, but I think they'll appreciate that you're asking those questions and taking care of yourself to give them the best performance. I think I was very much a shy person. I was like, I got to get in, get out and be out of the hair. So they don't remember me, which is exactly what's going to happen. They're not going to remember you, but if you're able to just like, great, let me make this the best possible thing. Uh, let me fit in a, sorry, a second piece of good advice that feels sure. related is that like, look at every, every audition as just another opportunity to act. It is not you trying to get a job. This is the show right here. And that way you're going to put all your all into just the audition. And when you get out of there, you're not going to be worried about like, am I going to get this call back? Did they hate me? Did they love me? It's just the fact that like, great, that was a really fun sequence, right? We're playing. That's why we wanted to act. We want to have fun. So have fun in the audience audition too. Great advice. Thanks so much. And any upcoming shows, productions that you're involved with that you're allowed to talk about? Yeah, sure. Um, as far as shows that I'm allowed to talk about, I got a couple comedy shows. Uh, check them out. They're all at uh, Caveats, New York, in uh, East Village. I host a monthly show called Asian AF New York, which we just showcase a bunch of great new Asian talent. I have one in December. I think it's going to be December 11th. It's Saturday, 7 p.m. Um, you can look us up. And uh, there's another show at Caveat that I'm going to be in called These Are Not My Words, which is going to be that same uh, weekend, I believe, where a bunch of comedians write pieces for another comedian, and we don't get to see the piece ahead of time. It's very fun. Um, and it's just, uh, it's very surprising. They like seal all the people's pieces. So really, when you get on stage, you just open up an envelope <laughs> and you perform this piece blind uh, and you get the craziest stuff. Awesome. Awesome. And of course, people could check you out on at Donald Chang, well, Donald-Chang.com, right? Thank you. Yeah, for sure. Uh, they want to watch and look at a really old website. I need to update that. But uh, yeah, yeah. Check me out. Got some samples up there. Facebook, Twitter, you're on there as well, right? I am. You can just look me up, Donald Chang. Um, if anyone tries to reach out to me on social media, though, uh, apologies. I, I check it very rarely. Um, so uh, yeah, if you try to reach out and I don't respond, it's not because I'm ignoring you. It is because I have not looked at it in a long time. That's not necessarily a bad thing, though. Uh, it's not, but I, I don't want to hurt anybody's feelings. Uh, that's also my anxiety is that I'm going to hurt <laughs> someone's feelings. Awesome. Well, Donald, thank you so much for your time. It was a pleasure. Yeah. Thank you so much.